Uh, if you were here last week, or not here, but if you were with us last week, raise your hand. At Curb Event Center Belmont, raise your hand. What a fun time that was. Um, it was so good to see the body of Christ at Fellowship gathered in one place at one time. And I know many who weren't able to make it watched online. I hope you were able to do that. If you missed it, go back and watch it. It was really a significant special service. Maybe this morning you're coming in like, I don't know what you're talking about because this is my first time here this morning. And we're glad that you're here. And I wanna welcome you as well. My name is Rob Sweet. I'm one of two teaching pastors here at Fellowship along with Lloyd Shadrach. And we have two campuses here at, at our Franklin campus. And while I'm here, Lloyd is there and vice versa. And, uh, we're in the same series together. And in fact, last week at Belmont University, we all gathered together to start a new series. And it really represents kind of a new moment in our church's history. And I want to just catch up on that real briefly. And then we're going to pray about that. And then I'm going to launch into the message this morning. Uh, we have some ushers that have something for you this morning. Why don't you all go ahead and start passing those out while I, I talk. Uh, this is a unique and exciting season in the history of Fellowship Bible Church. Um, if you were with us last week, you heard us say that we believe God has kind of put us in this unique position to be able to really try to solve or, or ask him to solve the two primary facility challenges that we have, one at each campus, and just to open our hands and say, God, we feel like you're leading us into this. We're, we're not gonna take any debt in this at all. We're just gonna see what God would put in our hands. And so our big challenge here at Brentwood is we don't have a space to gather. We don't have a space to kind of bump into each other, rub shoulders, just become a community of people together. And so uh, you, as you know, most of you know, um, we're hoping to build a connection center that would connect this building that we're in right now with our learning center where our children are in right now. It'll serve much more than just a lobby. It'll be a space that we can become a community of people and that we can be equipped through some classrooms and some other things. At our Franklin campus, we've been searching for eight or nine years for a permanent home. We're in leased space and, and we're vulnerable because of that, even though we've grown significantly at that campus. And so what we need is a permanent home. We've been praying for that for a long time. So if you take those two projects together and we're approaching them as one church because we are one church and two congregations, the cost for all that, including the land purchase and building and building here and all it put together is, is around $30 million. But here's the remarkable thing. God's already provided for us. He's already kind of been going ahead of us, which is why we believe he's been leading us in this direction. And so we don't need to come to the body and say, let's all come together to raise $30 million. 15 has already been provided. We're halfway there. And so if we can commit over the next three years to, to give $15 million together, which is a stretch for a body of our size, but it's not unthinkable. And we believe it could be exactly where God is leading us. Then we will be able to build this connection center here and some other things on this campus, as well as uh, build a permanent home in South Franklin. So we're very excited about all this. What you're getting right now is a commitment card. And this is sort of where this is kind of leading to. Two weeks from today on October 1st will be our commitment Sunday. And we wanted you to go ahead and have this now because this whole process is about stepping in to prayer and trusting God with this and be praying. What would he put on your heart to give? Our invitation, our hope is that every person, every family that calls Fellowship Bible Church their home will be a part of this. Some of you can give significantly. Some cannot give as significantly. I shouldn't even use that word. It's all significant. It's all significant. Sometimes we get caught up in the amounts, but the call to all of us is give generously. By the way, on your way out, if you did not get one of these books at Curb Event last week, 
very important that you grab one of these. This is all the information I'm not going to go over this morning because I want to jump into some passages in God's word, but it's all here. We'll explain all the details of it. So you have the commitment card to start praying over. I also want to invite you to be a part of the text devotions through this season, these four weeks together. Uh, We've already been a week into this. These are so helpful. I told Lloyd, I said, you know, because he didn't, he, we don't, sometimes we don't, we're not able to collaborate on all things. We do that as much as possible, but with schedules being crazy in August, he just sort of did these devotionals. I said, Lloyd, these are wonderful. Like I'm growing as I'm reading these things and I hope you are too. And so text the word follow to that phone number every morning at 6 a.m. You'll get a little text that'll take you to a link. And it's just a devotional on this journey of generosity that we're in together. And then On September 30th, which is coming up very soon, Saturday, September 30th, at both of our campuses, we're going to have a prayer vigil. And we want to invite everybody to choose one hour between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. Show up here. We'll have a little worship. We'll guide you through some prayer. No one's going to be put on the spot and say, hey, lead the body in prayer. We're going to guide you through all of that. It's going to be an opportunity for us just to do, you know, to, to really do this the way that God would invite us to do it on our knees, fully dependent, fully trusting in him. So please plan to attend, be a part of that prayer vigil. I'm really excited about that. And then of course, commitment uh, Sunday will be the very next day. Last thing I want to do, and I'm going to pray for all this, and then we'll open God's word together. I mentioned to you last week, or, or, or in a couple different contexts, I've mentioned that the land that we're in contract with for our Franklin campus, it's not a total done deal because the city of Franklin will need to approve an amendment to the Envision Franklin long-term plan. And uh, we're in that process right now. We feel like it's going well, but anytime you have to ask for an amendment be approved, we have to just trust God with that. That's something that's out of our hands. And, And rather than being discouraged by that, I'm actually encouraged by that because this is something that we'll put our best foot forward, but it's not our decision. We're trusting God to work through the authorities that he has established even in our local community. But would you be praying in that? Would you be praying with us that God's will would be done? The, um, the vote will happen on September 28th and the planning commission for the city of Franklin will decide whether or not we will be able to build on that property, which we believe would be a wonderful piece of property for us, but we're trusting God with this. So I just wanna pray about that and pray for all this. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the message. If you'd bow your heads, let me lead us. Father, I thank you for bringing us as a church to the place that we are. It, it's exciting, it is encouraging, and it's a step of faith. And anytime you call your people to a step of faith, you're up to something. You're up to something good. You're up to something beautiful. And so, Father, I pray for us as a body that we would just enter in with hands wide open to to give what you put on our hearts, to think the thoughts that you would have us to think, to make the decisions that you would have us to make. And Father, I want to pray specifically for the planning commission of the city of Franklin, who is considering this amendment to a plan that they have established that would enable us to become a presence in that community, in a permanent home on a piece of land. Father, we recognize all the land belongs to you. It all belongs to you. And you have chosen what it will be used for. And we ask, Father, would you make it clear? Would you lead them, even as you have established them in their roles in our community, would you lead them? Would you speak through them in this decision? We pray for your will above all else. Father, we thank you now for a chance 
to hear you speak to us through your word. And we submit our ears and our hearts to what you would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this short little four-week series, and then we'll get back to our study in John's gospel. The series is called The Journey of Generosity. And I, and I want to, if we can put this on the screen, I want to just walk you through the big idea of this, and then I'll tell you where we're going to go specifically this morning. The, gen, the journey of, of generosity starts with the invitation of Jesus to come, to come to him, to come into his presence. Come is the invitation to be present with Jesus. And we do that first and foremost in prayer. And so we've been praying even this morning. We've been praying over this week. Jesus doesn't just say come. Jesus says come and see. And so see is the invitation to trust the spirit, to open our eyes and see what he would have us do and see what he's already up to in the world around us. To see is to see with spiritual eyes the reality that God is acting. God is already on the move and he wants us to join him. What does it look like for us to join him? So we come, we see the next thing we do when our eyes are open is we give. We give and not just our money. And in fact, you know, this whole campaign, the money's the, the, the least of our concerns, you know, not because we have some pride or arrogance in, in, in the, the money side of things, not at all. It's just that that's not the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that we learn to give our lives away as a body that, that we would give because Jesus says to us, if you want to find life, you lose your own. If you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it away, you'll actually find it. And that takes us to the next part of the journey, which is to live the invitation to believe the promise of Jesus that he came so that we may have life and have it in fullness. He's not holding back anything on us. And this is not some kind of name it, claim it kind of life. This is the life that is true life that comes in self-sacrifice and self-giving. We're empowered by Jesus as we live open-handedly. And then the cycle completes because our lives Give others the opportunity to come and see and give and live. This is the journey of generosity. So this is the big picture of where we're going in this series. This morning, I want to talk about the generosity of Jesus. We're going to take a big dive, a deep dive this morning into how Jesus lived out generosity in his own life. Because I want you to see this this morning. Jesus is the key to the whole thing. Jesus is the key to the old thing. If there's any part of you that would love and long to become a more generous person, a more open-handed person, a more gracious person, a more life-giving person to other people, Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key to the journey of generosity. And maybe generosity or generous or is not the first word you'd think of to describe Jesus. Maybe you'd think power, or maybe you'd think miracles, or maybe you'd think shepherd, or perhaps you'd think redeemer and cross and empty tomb. And all these ideas are all correct, of course. But I want you to see this morning that generosity defined the life of Jesus as much as anything else. I, I might say it this way, and, and Joe, if you could put this up on the, the screen for me. I might say it this way is kind of the big idea of our text. Jesus is the most generous person who ever lived. And because of his generosity, more life flowed through Jesus than any other person. 
Now, you, you might think of that and say, okay, well, fine. He's the most generous person. I guess that's sort of true. It must be true because he died for us. You know, he, he gave his life away. You know, he sacrificed his life. That, that's got to be the ultimate generosity. And, and, and yes, that, that's part of it. But isn't it true there've been a lot of people throughout history who have given their lives for other people, who, who have literally died, sacrificed their lives, traded their lives so that someone else might live. And isn't it also true that there've been plenty of men and women throughout history who have lived sacrificial lives, who've just sort of dedicated their whole lives to serving other people like Jesus did and and pouring themselves out for other people like Jesus did. Isn't that also true? I think that's also true. So what makes Jesus not just one of the most generous people who ever lived, but the most generous person who ever lived? lived. Well, open your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter two. This is where I want to start this morning. We're going to cover a number of passages, but I want to start here in Philippians chapter two, just to kind of get us going around this question. What makes Jesus the most generous person who ever lived? We'll put that passage on the screen as well, if we can. Here's what Paul wrote about the generosity of Jesus from the big picture perspective. Though he was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or or, or to sort of clung on to, right? But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's Paul talking about here? He's saying the generosity of Jesus is not just in his lifetime. The generosity of Jesus was first and foremost in his incarnation. The the very act of God becoming human was a tremendously radical act of generosity. God himself, Paul is saying, emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? His divine privileges, his own will Jesus emptied himself of, which is what we're going to see as we keep moving through this message this morning. But Jesus traded, not his divine nature, okay? He he was fully God and fully man. He is fully God and fully man still now. But he traded in his divine privileges and he traded them in exchange for a servant's towel, And ultimately, even more, for a criminal's death. God himself came that low. God himself came that far. Jesus moved consciously in the opposite direction from virtually every other human who ever lived. Like, our instinct is always up, 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 you know, more, 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 like more reputation, more status, more approval, more security, all these things. Jesus went the opposite way, down down, down. And because of that generosity, more life flowed through Jesus than any other human. So Philippians 2 is our starting point for the generosity of Jesus. It it teaches us that the extraordinary generosity of Jesus began even before his human life began. It, It began in this act of incarnation. And then it continued through his whole life on earth, which is where we're going to go next. Here's something interesting to me. We we can't, in our heads, usually separate generosity from money. Not not easily anyway. I mean, it's just become so connected and and it's not disconnected. 
But here's what's interesting to me. Jesus never had money to give away. As far as we can tell, he never had money to give away. But generosity was a defining characteristic of his person. Here are just some of the things that Jesus gave away to others during the course of his lifetime. His time, his presence, his service, his energy, his wisdom, his forgiveness, his compassion, his personal space, his empathy, his reputation, his dignity, his clothing, ultimately his own physical body. Jesus withheld nothing, nothing. He came into the world naked, dependent on a mother for his human life. He, he left the world, at least in his death on the cross, naked, without anything, nothing. He held nothing back. The, the question I want to wrestle through, if you think about this radically generous life that, that Jesus lived, how? How did Jesus live so generously as a human being? And, and before you say, well, because he was God, he could do anything. I, I want us to focus on the, the humanity of Jesus in this. Don't, Jesus has the two natures, fully God, fully man. I want us to talk about how Jesus in his humanity lived a radically generous life. Because if you don't understand that, that you can identify with the decisions that Jesus made as a human being, if you don't understand that, then you'll never, you'll never begin to follow him because you'll just think, well, he was God. He could do whatever he wants to. So I want to focus this morning on the humanity of Jesus. As a human being, how did Jesus live so generously? How did he give all of his whole life away? Raise your hand if you were with us two and a half years ago when we did a series called Generous God. This was the last time we talked about generosity in, in our church. And when we talked about generosity in the Generous God series, it started with this core idea. God is generous. God himself, like the creation around us is an expression of the generosity of God. That's the starting place for our generosity. And we showed you a video by the folks at the Bible Project that we really love, a, a video on the theme of generosity. And I, I want to show it to you again this morning. This is going to be worth our time this morning because it does such a great job of framing the whole story of the Bible in terms of God's generosity. And it helps us answer the question, what was the key to Jesus's generosity? Let's take a look. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. 
They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. And scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Every time I watch that, I think, 
I wish I could communicate that well. <laughs> Five minutes, the whole story of the Bible around this theme of generosity. And I, I, I want to unpack some of these things. And then I want to cover some of the scripture passages that were mentioned in this. Because I, I think if you, if you really understand the story of generosity in the Bible, you start to realize that there were two keys. There were, there were two sort of secrets, if you will, to how Jesus lived this way. And, and we'll, we'll build them on the screen. So the question we're answering again is, how did Jesus live such a generous life? Here's the first key. Here's the first secret. He fully trusted the generosity of the Father. He fully trusted the generosity of the Father. The, the video did a really good job of explaining that, didn't it? Jesus operated with a fundamental conception, a fundamental operating system. It's just the idea that, that, that God, the Father of all things, is a generous host. And the world that we're living in, you know, the, world's the, the world of the flowers that are, that are clothed and, and the birds that have enough eat, it, it's a place of abundance. And that the Father cares for us enough to provide for our needs. And so there's no reason to doubt his care. There's no reason to question it. Now, I want to show you a few of the passages from the words of Jesus himself where he taught this idea that the generosity of the Father can be trusted. You probably won't have time to flip through all of them, so I'll just put them on the screen and I'll read them for you. Matthew six twenty-five and following. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? These words, sometimes when we read them, they just kind of gloss over us because, oh yeah, that's the teaching of Jesus. I've heard that before. These are life-changing words if you believe them. Jesus believed them. That's what we're trying to, to, to say this morning. Jesus lived in such a way that he said, this is what's true. And, and this is what he modeled for us. Jesus knew something about the nature of God and the nature of the creation around us that's hard for us to see and even harder for us to believe. And he so wanted his disciples to see it and believe it that he taught about it often. 
He taught about it frequently. He used great analogies and examples. He pointed to things and he said, this is the way that I'm calling you to live because this is what's real. This is what's true. And he wants us, his followers today, to see it, to believe it, to try it, to practice it, to lean into it. How different would you be if you actually believed just the few texts that I just read this morning? How different would you be? I'll I'll speak for me. I'm not afraid to admit, I'd be different. I'd be a lot different. Y'all, we call ourselves followers of Jesus, right? We say we, we believe Jesus is who he says he is. We believe what he said, he spoke truth. We, we follow him. And yet we get to these little things and I could point to examples from yesterday, the day before, this morning, as I finished did the finishing touches on this message this morning, where I'm doubting God's provision for me. I think we tend to operate this way. How different would you be if you simply started trusting Jesus in these things that he said, that the Father is a generous God. You can fully trust the generosity of the Father. Here's how most of us operate. We, we kind of hold back our, our full generosity, you know, really. We hold back generosity because we don't think we have enough to be generous. I've had this thought before. Don't raise your hand, okay? But I'm guessing many of us have. When I finally have more than I need... I'll be generous with it. I won't hoard it. Like I, when I finally have more than I need, I won't keep it for myself. I'll be generous. I'll give it away. Y'all, Jesus was talking to very poor people. People who were worrying about their clothing. Why were they worrying about their clothing? Because they had just one set. She says, why are you worried about clothing? Jesus was saying to them, you already have more than you need. Open your eyes and see. The issue is not what you have or don't have. The issue is your trust in the Father. Your trust in the Father. Jesus kept saying, your Father is generous. Your Father sees you. Your Father cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're more valuable than a sparrow? Do you believe you're more important than a lily? Do you believe enough to live that way? So this is the first secret of the generosity of Jesus. And you know, it's not a small one. It's not an easy one. He fully trusted the generosity of the Father, something that you and I don't fully do all the time. The second one, clearly connected to the first. I want you to see how these flow out of each other. The second is this. He lived fully dependent on the Father. I want to tease this out and and encourage us to meditate on this idea for a few minutes because I don't think it's something we think about very much with Jesus. When I say he lived fully dependent on the Father, I mean he lived absolutely, utterly, 100% dependent on the Father in everything he did and everything he said. And and this is coming straight from the mouth of Jesus. Let's look at some texts where Jesus talks about this principle. This is John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, referring to himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Look at the same chapter, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, 
I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at John seven sixteen. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Look at John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. We could go on and on. There's so many passages that Jesus talked about this. I, I've never really thought much about this concept until this week. Here's the idea. Even though Jesus was in very nature God, don't forget Philippians chapter two, he's very nature God. His life was so yielded to the father that his authority wasn't his own, his power wasn't his own, his will wasn't his own, his judgment wasn't his own, even his teaching, the teaching that you and I know and love so well from Jesus, his teaching was not his own. It came from the Father through Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so I thought about this a lot this week. And, and here, here's this, you know, I just started getting like, wow, this is really pushing me in some helpful ways, I think. And, and here's sort of this idea I came to is, I think this is the single thing in his humanity that Jesus did more completely than any other human who ever lived. This full submission, this full yielding, no one else has ever come close to that. And I know you've known some great people. I've known some great people. We can point to some incredible people in, in human history. No one has come close to this level of, of yielding, of submitting his life to the will of God. Here's the irony. Because of his deity, his, his nature as God, he was the only person that could have lived without doing that. He, he was the only person that, that actually had life apart from, or he could have clung to it, as Philippians 2 says. He didn't consider equality with God something to be held onto, something to be clinged onto, but instead he emptied himself. He emptied himself of his will, his authority, his power, his judgment. He chose to be dependent on the Father for everything. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, first, I think to be a model for us, to be an example for us of what it means to live out generosity. But, but I think secondly, and, and I'm gonna argue much more importantly, is by living this way, Jesus became an empty vessel that God the Father not only filled, but then flowed out of. The life of God the Father, the Spirit of God himself flowed through Jesus and, and miracles were done and people's lives were transformed and they're still being transformed today because Jesus emptied himself and said, I will be a willing empty vessel a human being fully yielded to God and God's power flowed unobstructed through the sun into the world. In other words, he emptied himself for us, for you and for me. 
I want to put this together for us. Here are the two keys or the two secrets to how Jesus lived such a remarkably generous life. He fully trusted the generosity of the Father and he lived fully dependent on the Father. Those are the keys. Those are the secrets. Like that's how Jesus did it. Now let's apply this to us for a minute. Do we fully trust the generosity of the Father? Again, I'll speak for me. I tend to move in and out of trust on the generosity of God. Another way to say it, flipping it upside down, I I tend to move in and out of suspicion of the Father's intentions for me. And and, and I do that based on my circumstances. (laughs) Life's going well. Oh, God's so generous. Let me give a little bit, you know. (laughs) Life's going hard. It's like, oh, God, you're holding back. You're holding out. Are you punishing me? Why? You see, this is how I tend to live. I think this is how most of us tend to live. What would it look like for us to fully trust the generosity of the Father? Second one, application for us. Do we fully live dependent? Do we live fully dependent on the Father? I think as human beings, our instinct is the opposite of that. I I think our instinct as humans is is self-sufficiency, is independence, our, I think our human nature, our instinct, in, in, in certainly the culture around us, conspires against us to push back on the idea that we're dependent on God or dependent on anyone for that matter outside of ourselves for life and happiness and fullness. No wonder it's hard for us to be generous if you feel that you have to provide for your own needs. You better not waste anything. How can we possibly follow Jesus in this? It works against our instinct. It goes against everything we think and we feel. How can we possibly live this way? You can't. You can't. Not until you start understanding that Jesus is not just our example. He's also our source. He's not just our example. He's also our source. You see, he lived this way because you and I can't. You can't. I can't. I can't be generous like this. I can't. I try to give. I try to give a little bit more. I try to wake up each morning and say, God, use me today. Not, you know, not just with my money, least of all my money. Use my life, use my heart, use my words, use my presence. I go to bed at the end of the night. I take an inventory. Oh, I had one or two good moments today, God. <laughs> you know how it is. I can't. You can't. Jesus lived this way so that he would become our source Y'all, do you remember two weeks ago, John 15, he says, I'm the vine. You're not the vine. (laughs) You're the branches. He says, abide in me, remain in me, and you'll bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You see, Jesus is not just our example. He's our source. He is our source. And through the spirit of Christ that is in us, he becomes our source to start taking steps toward generosity, closer and closer to the person of Jesus. Now, I want to make this just as practical as I can before, before we, we come to the table this morning. So let me, let me make one more point here, and then we'll come to the table together. 
If you believe the gospel, and I know most in this room would say, yes, I believe the gospel. Jesus lived the perfect life I couldn't live. He died the death that I deserved and he was raised back up so that I may walk in that life and I'll have eternal life with him. If you believe the gospel, it doesn't just mean there's a place secured for you in heaven. Of course that's true. Of course that's true. But it doesn't just mean that. It also means there's nothing you need that has not been given you in Christ. There's nothing you need or you will need that has not been given in Christ. But, 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 but what about, but what about, but what about, listen, why do we worry about money? Why do we worry about clothing? Why do we worry about our reputations? Why do we worry about all these things? Are, are we not trying to create a life for ourselves? Are we not trying to survive? Are we not trying to just find something? If you believe in the gospel, and, and, and I know you do, but I'm calling you to a deeper level of faith this morning. If you believe in the gospel, you don't have to provide for yourself. You don't have to fight for your own security. You don't have to stay in control. You don't have to buy your own comfort. You don't have to impress other people and, and play a role so that they approve of you. Jesus is your source and there's nothing you need and will ever need that has not already been given to you in Christ. Do you, do you understand that the, the gospel says that, that what Jesus gave up you've received? I want to put this verse back on the screen as we wrap up. This was mentioned in the video. It's such an important verse in this idea of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus went low so that you would go high. Jesus gave it all up so that you would have what he gave. You see, when, when Jesus gave away his status, his privilege, you know, his, his, his clear access in the throne room, when he, when, he, when he temporarily gave those things up, he didn't just cast them into the void. He gave them to us. We're the beneficiaries. We're the ones who receive what Jesus gave away. And so here's what that means. God, the father of Jesus, is now the father of Rob. The true father of Joy and Susan and Karen and Tim and Justin. God, the father of Jesus, is now our true father with all the rights and privileges that that entails. You have no need that has not already been given you in Jesus Christ, do you believe? And when you start to believe that, I'm telling you all, you start to be able to take a step of faith and generosity and you start to be able to give something away and it's your whole life. 
and, and, but it certainly includes your money. Isn't that something for us that, that can help us get unstuck is just, just give away something that starts a little more easy for us is money easier to give our money away than our lives. Is that not true? Listen, if you're counting on your money for security, for comfort, you'll never be able to give it away. Once you start to see that, that money is not security, money is not comfort, money is not status, money's just money then you can give it away. Giving is living out the declaration that Christ alone is your provision and supply. That's what the act of giving is. Living out the declaration that Christ alone is your provision and supply. And then as you begin to give money, you begin to give your life, you're able to freely give it away because to lose your life is to find your life. And now we're following Jesus. We're following Jesus. I want to invite you to take out the elements of communion that you received when you came in the door. And, and if you missed them when you came in, I, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, go out there right now. I'll give you a couple of minutes and just take one of these little packages that we have. And, and if you already have one, you, you can certainly begin to go ahead and take out the bread, but don't eat it yet. We're, we're going to eat the bread and then drink the cup together. And I'll lead you through that. But while they're getting the communion elements, let me make a connection. Let me make a connection for us in this. Can you imagine what it would have been like to live up and close with Jesus for those three years that he did his ministry, to be one of those 12 followers, to, to watch him as he talked to people, to observe him as he sacrificed and as he served and did miracles and, and just to pay attention. And what, is it, what does a life fully yielded to the Father actually look like? And that was just modeled right in front of you for three years. It would have been the most amazing, breathtaking experience for these 12 to witness this. And they got to the very end of their journey with Jesus and, and they didn't know it was the end of the journey, but Jesus did. And he's having this last meal with them and he starts telling them, this is the end, at least of this phase, the end of the journey. And they're puzzling over this. How, what do you mean you're leaving? Don't leave. Where are you going? All these questions that come up during this meal. And at the end of the meal, what does Jesus do? He takes out the bread. He gives them one more gift. And he says, you know, this bread you've been eating all your life, you know, th th this bread that you've counted on to satisfy your hunger, this bread that's nourished you and, and given you the calories and the energy that you needed and, and has gotten you from the day of your birth to this day, this bread and all that's represented in this bread, this bread's not the real bread. This bread's not actually your source. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. And then he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. Let's eat the bread this morning. Peel back the foil layer of the cup. And as you prepare to drink the cup, I want you to imagine in that same scene, they're still puzzling over what he said about the bread. And then he, he, he picks up the cup. This was the, the, the cup of wine that had been the focus of the meal, the whole Passover supper. You see, every time they would have a course, they would read a blessing and pronounce a blessing and they would drink the cup together. And Jesus is saying, this drink, this wine that has been such a source of joy to you all your life and all that it represents, a, a, a little 
respite after a long, hard day or, or communion with friends around the table or all the things that we associate with drink in our lifetimes. He says, this cup, this drink is not the true drink. He said, the true cup is the covenant in my blood, the relationship, the communion in my blood that is now possible with the Father, with my Father for you because I'm spilling my blood for you. Let's drink the cup. Jesus held nothing back from his birth to his death all that he had, he gave away. Why did he give it away? So you would have life. So I would have life. So we could be fully alive. So we could become vessels of life for others and live generously. Don't you see, Jesus is the key. He's the key to it all. May we live more like him. Let's stand together. We're gonna sing one last song. We're going to worship our Jesus in this.